Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Everybody, you're listening to Chronically Chilled on 3CR, where we talk about chronic illness, mental health, and disability. My name is Mario Poshiga, and today I'm joined by my co-host Naomi Cheney and our special guest Jordan Still John. Jordan is a member of the Australian Senate and is representing Western Australia for the Australian Greens. Welcome, Jordan, and thank you for coming on. Great to be with you uh, both, and uh, back with your listeners again. We wanted to talk to you today. Um, about a few topics. So NDIS is obviously something that is um, a very current issue and there's lots happening in that space. Um, and also the Royal Commission is in the background as well. But before I, before we kind of go there, I just wanted to ask you, um, your, this is, I think, your fourth year coming up in the Senate. And I wondered whether you have any reflections on kind of your experience there and maybe just a little bit about the political process in this country and whether you think it actually has the capacity to actually serve like ordinary people? Uh, well, I, I, that's a great question, Mario. I think that the last four years of, uh, of being a Greens representative in the Senate in, in serving my uh, community in, in Parliament um, have taught me just how uh, corroded the political system has become by particularly corporate influence uh, with hundreds of millions of dollars being donated uh, by our largest uh, corporations uh, to the major parties um, to basically buy outcomes um, for those donations. And that really skews the political system. And it's why we don't see action on climate change. It's why we uh, see hundreds of uh, billions of dollars in public funds given away to uh, large corporations and uh, to wealthy individuals, while people struggle to get anything like the increase they need to uh, job seeker payments and the like. So it's shown me the, the, the really corroded nature of the system. It's also shown me the power of uh, people when we come together to uh, work for change. Um, achievements like the Disability Royal Commission um, are a, an example of a, a situation where disabled people came together for decades to uh, work to achieve this historic investigation. And despite the uh, Liberals and for some time the Labour Party kind of trying to ignore it and then being dragged along uh, kicking and screaming. Uh, that is now a reality uh, in, in 2021. That investigation is ongoing. So um, between that and the wonderful uh, you know work of the student strike movement uh, for climate of extinction rebellion um, and so many more uh, community powered uh, campaigns and movements across um the nation uh, that also gives you a lot of hope um and a lot of reason to to continue the work uh for a, for a better future for everybody so, so jordan you've brought up the um the royal commission 
Um, I know at the moment that there's a lot of talk about trying to get an extension of that. Are you able to speak at all to what, why an extension is needed and um, whether you think that that's a possibility, whether that can happen? Absolutely. Um, so it's needed for a couple of key reasons. Um, uh, number one, COVID-19. Um, COVID-19 had a, and it continues to have, a profound impact upon uh, disabled people, and it continues to highlight uh, the brokenness of our healthcare systems, um, social support systems. Just the other day, uh, we saw that yet again, disabled people have been forgotten and excluded when it comes to the va vaccine program, uh, for instance. The Royal Commission revealed that uh, there was not a single person within the Australian government with the responsibility uh, for making sure that the pandemic response plan uh, adequately met the needs of disabled people. Um, and the pandemic itself stopped the Royal Commission from doing its work. The Royal Commission had to take a uh, four month pause because it literally couldn't function during uh, a global pandemic. Um, and more broadly, disabled people switched from preparing to uh, tell our stories to having to work every day just to survive under the threat of a virus, which if many of us get, a, get it, uh, is a death sentence. Um, so that's the first reason we need an extension to make back the time, to get back the time um, and the capacity that we lost due to COVID-19. Uh, the other reason is that for the entire life of the commission, and it's been running now for uh, nearly two years, um, the uh, critical privacy and confidentiality uh, legislation uh, and framework to protect people's confidentiality when they give evidence. So when they blow the whistle on dodgy providers or people that are abusing them, for instance, those law changes that are needed to protect those folks have not been there. Um, we in the Greens have been calling for them to be introduced and passed uh, from day one. Uh, the disability community has been doing the same. The Royal Commission has been calling for it uh, since its commencement, and yet the Morrison government has failed uh, to produce that legislation. And the effect of that is that people have not even prepared to tell uh, these horrendous stories of abuse or blow the whistle because currently they know they are unsafe uh, to do so. Um, so what we need to do is pass the legislation that would uh, protect people when they are blowing the whistle, and then again, give the Commission back the time to do the work of collecting that evidence that currently people are not secure uh, in giving to the Commission. So um, we're talking about the Royal Commission and kind of how it's not, I guess, doing enough in some ways. And then we're talking about also kind of the poor response to disability, people with disabilities um, during COVID. And even at the beginning of COVID, they literally didn't think of people with disabilities. And then there's also now the NDIS stuff. And I'm, it just feels like there's a pattern around what this government or how this government sees disabled people. Uh, absolutely. I think you, you're bang on, uh, my friend. The reality is that... Uh... The, the Liberal Party, um, but not exclusively the Liberal Party, this is something that Labour is also uh, guilty of. Um, uh, they define value as the ability to be, uh, as in human value, um, 
uh, either consciously or subconsciously as your ability to be economically productive. Um, and whether or not you are able to be uh, economically productive um, defines, you know, the, the closer or further away you are to that um, defines your humanity. So the only lens through which your humanity is viewed, it's also viewed on racial grounds, on uh, gender grounds, for instance. Um, but it is, uh, it is one of the primary lenses through which conservatives view human value. And the Labour Party has become a increasingly more conservative political organisation and so have followed them down that particular rabbit hole. Um, and so uh, we land ourselves in a situation where, uh, because of ableism in our society, that leads disabled people to find uh, difficulty in gaining uh, employment, um, there is a lower value assigned to uh, the life of a disabled person in comparison to the rest of uh, the community. Um, it's an absolutely amoral but sickening process that we need to end in an ideology uh, that must be unrelentingly challenged. The, um, in terms of the NDIS and the way that's being framed at the moment by the communications that we're seeing, uh, one thing I noticed is that they keep talking about sustainability and that to me says they're really trying to make it sound like there is a limited amount of funds there that we can use as charity for disabled people. But in actual fact, the NDIS was supposed to be an investment in, in disabled people uh, that would have a return when people are working. And, and you know when people are supported in society, it's generally good for the economy. Um, are you able to, that seems like it relates to what you're saying about how conservatives view disability. Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I, I think one of the main problems here is that uh, the government just doesn't understand um, what actual sustainability of any type really is. Um, and they're just using a buzzword that's been given them by a marketing company to, uh, to sell their project of kicking disabled people off the NDIS uh, because they believe that the that there are people on the NDIS that shouldn't be. It's the, it's, uh, you know, the doll bludgers mantra masquerading as thoughtful economic policy when it actually isn't. The, the reality is the NDIS, uh, it, it is very questionable as to whether um, the NDIS has any form of uh, financial sustainability problem. Um, the, the figures used by the government and by the agency to uh, argue that case are not transparent. Um, and to this point, the government's been absolutely unwilling to, uh, to make public the assumptions that underline their contention that there is a sustainability problem. Uh, but even if there was, even if we were in a situation where, you know, the, the scheme was running at a, you know, a couple of billion dollars more a year than was expected, um, this is a drop in the ocean compared to the overruns that uh, take place in the defence sector, for instance. Uh, the, the submarine programme that we are 
uh, building at the moment was initially estimated to cost $50 billion, which is an outrageous sum in itself, is now uh, heading towards $100 billion. Um, and not a single member of the government has yet suggested that that might warrant us buying a couple less submarines. Um, and yet we have price, you know, cost fluctuations in the agency, and suddenly we're implementing uh, you know, complete changes, brand new barriers in order to uh, in order to somehow kick people off and bring the cost down. And again, it's because I think um, public funds used to support uh, vulnerable, uh, used to support disabled people are seen as charitable efforts, as you uh, said there, Naomi, rather than uh, non-negotiable supports um, and that's the conversation that we absolutely need to shift um, to make sure that the NDIS delivers for people is to to get ourselves to a place where uh, supporting people to live with individualized funding uh, is the uh, is the immovable uh, non-negotiable duty of a people's government not a nice charitable exercise that we invest in and engage in when we feel like it. And, and I feel like the public could get the impression that, you know, there's not the way that this might be messaged and so on is that, you know, there's not enough money to sustain the NDIS and whatever, but there's a lot of people and a lot of companies and a lot of advisors and a lot of, you know, um, contractors and consultants out there making a huge amount of money from the NDIS, right? Oh, massively. We, we do know that, um, that private uh, corporations are making an absolute killing uh, in the NDIS. And what one of the areas where that is occurring, of course, is uh, outsourced policy making uh, from the agency. So the agency is currently under a cap, uh, a staffing cap, uh, uh, foisted upon it by actually both the major parties, both Labour and the Liberals, supported capping the staff of the agency at around about 3,000. Um, when the Productivity Commission said very clearly that it needed at least 10,000 full-time employees in order to do its job properly. The effect of that has been that the agencies had to outsource a lot of what it does, either in dealing with people or in generating policy or in reviewing its own data um, to uh, either the non-government sector or to uh, private entities like PricewaterhouseCoopers. With the uh, the independent assessments is the other thing with the NDIS that's been getting a lot of attention. They, they've said now that it's going to be on hold, that they're not making a decision right away. But again, um, on this topic of private contractors and people making money, like they, they have actually signed contracts, haven't they, with, with people who are going to conduct the independent assessments. Do you know what, what does it actually mean that that's on hold? Well, that is a very good question, Naomi. And I think that that is uh, the fact that they have signed those contracts reveals the nonsense of the idea that there is actually a pause in uh, effect at all. Uh, effectively, what the government has done is, is gone, OK, hang on, we're going to wait a couple of months and try again, because they have signed $400 million worth of contracts with private organisations to deliver these monstrous um, assessments. And it is uh, clearly the first step uh, for them in 
implementing automated robo planning. Uh, so what they want to do is is literally invert the entire NDIS system uh, from one where you are granted access, you articulate your goals, and then have a bespoke plan built around supporting you to uh, succeed and achieve those individualized goals to one where you are uh, assessed by uh, a private organization um, by a stranger who is unqualified to make that assessment, uh, their assessment of you based on three hours, if you're lucky, spent with you, then is keyed into an automated uh, budget creation system, which will give you a set amount of money, um, which you then have to use the best you can. Um, that's the ultimate goal here for the Morrison Liberal government, because uh, that then allows them to do two things simultaneously. One, uh, to kick people off the scheme that they believe should not be receiving uh, supports, particularly autistic people, um, and uh, simultaneously have a, a predictable, uh, steady flow of, uh, of uh, you know, predictability for how much the scheme will cost, because they will be able to project forward from the automated outcomes how much the scheme will cost over the next decade, or at least that's what they think they'll be able to do. Um, so that's clearly what's happening here, um, and it is something which must be uh, totally opposed. Now, what the government has announced is that it will uh, pause the legislative implementation of independent assessments until the conclusion of the trial which they expect to conclude in, in July. Now, the problem of course, and then they, they say that they will evaluate the trial um, and then proceed from there. Now, the problem is that the trial of so-called independent assessments is not in fact a uh, trial of independent assessments. It is the undertaking of a customer feedback survey of people who have been involved in the independent assessment process. So it will ask satisfaction-based questions. Uh, it will not ask the research-based questions uh, that are needed to ascertain uh, the effectiveness of independent assessments. And it will not measure the outcomes in terms of participant outcomes, amount of money in plan, plans, for instance, against the current system. Um, so it's not, in fact, a trial. All it is is a smokescreen uh, while the government attempts to get the numbers uh, to legislate these changes. Um, and so that's why I'm always very clear with people when we talk about these issues. The government's actually already made up its mind uh, that what it wants to do is implement these changes. What we as a community have to do uh, is convince the crossbench of the Senate that they must not vote under any circumstances uh, for independent assessments to be legislated. Yeah, so that was my question to you. So, so you know, this apparent pause and they've used the words like we're going to go back and consult and stuff. It, to me, it just seemed like they had either lost the politics at the time and, and kind of retreated a little bit or it's part of a bigger process for them to, to get this stuff through. Like, what, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think what, what Minister Reynolds has the opportunity to do now, uh, if and what the Morrison government should do now, um, is sack the CEO, um, sack the board, um, and reset the agenda 
to one which is actually about fixing the needs of the NDI of the of participants in delivering the NDIS. Like that's actually what they should do, um, because it is very clear that the current team leading the board and leading the agency aren't fit for purpose um, and uh, have been championing these terrible ideas for, for too long. Um, now, that is not uh, what the Morrison government wants to do in this situation, which is why they are, I think, now deploying a, a smokescreen of a pause to give by themselves a bit more time to sell these changes to the crossbench and try to bang them through before Christmas. Um, and I think what we have to do as a community is be very clear uh, with the critical senators, with Jackie Lambie, with uh, the senators of, uh, of Centre Alliance, with Rex Patrick and with uh, One Nation, um, that if they vote for these changes, uh, they will be voted out of office. Um, and that is the, the message that I'm hearing from the community and one that I'm making to my crossbench colleagues at every opportunity. Uh, this won't work. It's harming people. Uh, there's no case for it. Don't vote for it. Do you think there is actually a chance that people will be voted out if they, if they support these changes? Do you think general community supports people with disability to that extent? Absolutely. There are 4.4 million disabled people in Australia. There are roughly 430,000 NDIS participants. Each participant has a, you know, at the very least a mum or a dad, a friend or a partner, a sister or a brother. Like those numbers definitely start to stack up electorally when you consider that senators are elected based on the total votes within their states. So I think it is very clear that this could be an election defining issue um, for for certain members of the crossbench. Um, because I can tell you now, if independent assessments are legislated, people will come to harm. That is what we have seen in the UK where they have implemented this. We actually saw many people die uh, because of the implementation of independent assessments. We've heard today uh, compelling, clear, no-nonsense evidence uh, in our inquiry hearing, the first of the Senate's inquiry hearing into independent assessments, uh, that this uh, will not work. It will harm people. Uh, it will not deliver uh, outcomes. Uh, and it needs to be stopped immediately. The evidence is clear. I think there is major political risk in ignoring the disability community um, and our allies and families. Uh, one thing I've noticed uh, specifically just being in chronic illness support groups and things um, with the independent assessments is the concern over if your disability is invisible uh, and uh, an independent assessor comes in, you know, there's there's a lot of bias in society already, I think, if your disability is invisible. Um, and so there's a concern that if, yeah, if, if someone who is not particularly qualified in your particular disability or particularly knowledgeable that that sort of three hour, four hour appointment is basically gonna spell for people with invisible disabilities in particular that they will get kicked off the scheme. And I heard Jordan, you mentioned autism specifically before, but do you think that's gonna be the case as well that they're actually trying to kick people with chronic illness off the scheme with these changes? Absolutely, people with chronic illness, people with psychosocial disability, uh, autistic people, people with ADHD, um, uh, that's that's the folk, they're the folks in the crosshairs of 
of this change um, because of what you've exactly articulated, uh, Naomi. There is a deep discrimination in our society towards disabled people generally. Um, if that disability is invisible um, or not immediately visible, um, then that discrimination deepens again. Um, and there are deep beliefs that, uh, that actually, um, you know, people with chronic illnesses i mean how many times have you have you heard or have people you know heard oh you know it can't be that bad you better just pull yourself together you know life's not meant to be easy just a bit of pain take a panadol you know it's a bright day enjoy the sunshine why are you so down all the time all of these ridiculous tropes um, whereas if somebody sees me on the street, um, I've never actually, I've never, well, my, people might think it, but I've never had somebody come up to me and say, hey, you don't need that wheelchair really, do you? You could just, you know, you could just get out of the chair and walk really. Um, so that's, that's the difference. Um, and I think that there is a view and I've, I've heard it articulated, uh, particularly in relating, relation to autistic folks, that um, what's happening here is that the parents that don't know how to parent their kids properly are going to GPs and annoying them into uh, giving their kids an autism diagnosis to avoid taking responsibility um, for their bad parenting. You know, this is, this is absurd, absolutely absurd language um, and thought process, um, uh, but it is most certainly the case um, that these these thought processes are living at the heart of what the government's trying to do here and at what the heart of what the agency has decided to support them in doing. The parallels um, with Centrelink and kind of how they've, you know, done that disability support pension and stuff is, is they're just, it's kind of very similar in a lot of ways. Hey? Well, if anyone out there is on the DSP right now, the, the functional capacity assessment that you have to go through to do that, that's basically what independent assessments are with a, with a, with a couple of tweaks mm. around the edges. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, the robo-debt issue that we that took lives and is now, you know, has been the subject of a, of a massive Commonwealth payment. Um, that's what happened the last time that they attempted to automate a social service system. Um, and it absolutely beggars belief that with that as their yardstick, they've gone, well, how about we try to apply that to disability? I think that'll work fine. Mm. Um, you know, it, they don't learn from their mistakes. And the result of that is that people actually have their lives negatively affected. And sometimes we die um, because of these uh, entrenched beliefs uh, that we are somehow trying to cheat the system. The hopeful note, though, I think that's important to reiterate is that we can um, stop these changes uh, from becoming a reality. If we as a community, and I'd say again, there's 4.4 million of us, uh, are able over the next few months to contact these critical crossbench senators uh, and to make our views known to them, and to secure their opposition to independent assessments, then independent assessments will not become a thing. Um, and that's what I think we have the opportunity to do together um, over the next couple of months. Um, we've been speaking to Senator Jordan Steele-John. Um, so Jordan, you've spoken a little bit about it already there, 
Um, but what can we do? Like, what can the community do to fight these changes and, yeah, stopping things? From- yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, look, I would really encourage you to reach, if, you, if you're listening right now and you want to see independent assessments stopped, um, I think that you should, uh, you can do uh, one thing right now to help that happen, and that is to make a call to uh, one of these MPs um, to share with them uh, why you are concerned about independent assessments, why you oppose them, what impact that would have um, on them. So they are Senator Jackie Lambie of Tasmania, uh, Senator Rex Patrick of South Australia, Senator uh, Sterling Griff of South Australia, um, uh, MP for Mayo, Rebecca Sharkey of South Australia, uh, Pauline Hanson of Queensland and Malcolm Roberts um, of Queensland. All of those senators currently sit on a spectrum from uh, being with us uh, in opposing uh, independent assessments. And so the goal is to keep them in that position or, you know, being undecided in independent assessments. So the goal is to persuade them to oppose. So we want to be persuasive uh, and respectful, uh, but they also do need to hear from us clearly uh, that that these changes must not uh, go through. Um, Jordan, thank you so much for coming onto the show. Thank, thank you. you. And let me just say in closing uh, to people out there, um, particularly people journeying with chronic illness, because I know that chronic illness, indivi- invisible disability uh, can be an incredibly difficult thing to journey with and something that can be very isolating um, and, and, you know, a really rough thing to journey with at times. Um, Please know that as long as I am in the Senate um, and as long as the Greens have any position anywhere, uh, you are heard and seen uh, in the political system. Um, And that if you need help um, and support, uh, then we are there to do that work um, as much as we can, as often as we can. Yeah, Jordan, thank you so much for doing that work. It is actually, it's seen and it is appreciated by people in the chronic illness community. Um, no worries. Thank you both. Have a great day. I'll, um, I'll speak to you again soon. So that was Senator Jordan Steele-John. Um, we've come to the end of the show. Um, you've been listening to Chronically Chilled on 3CR. You can catch um, all of our episodes on podcast via the 3CR website, um, also on iTunes and Spotify as well. Um, So until next time, see you later.